Linda with you this morning and for the very first time, not only in 2018, but for the very first time in my life, hanging out with Dr. Carl doing the science hour. Oh, no, sorry, you got to move over there. Oh, this other microphone. Yeah, that here. one. That one. See, that's, much nicer that's how I haze you, get you oh. on the wrong mic. Well, I hope you had a relaxing holiday. And look, we should um, acknowledge uh, the wonderful Zan um, and say goodbye to Zan and hello, Zan, and we love you and we also love you as well. So there you are. Thank you. I kind of feel like Doctor Who um, standing here resolute with the tides of presenters washing around me, but unfortunately, like Doctor Who, I do not get a new body every time. You don't? No. Well, I've still Doesn't got the same your skin one. regenerate every seven years or something? Is that essentially Ah, the same okay. Thing? You can tell that that's untrue. You, 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 it'll raise because I'm a, a suspicion. Liar. No, no. It'll raise a suspicion because it's got a number seven. Which is a prime number. So normally, but if you're, it's a if good you're, movie. It's a good, yeah, true. But if you come out with um, a book uh, about self-help, you normally bring it out in the early part of each year in January when people are hungover from the new year, and you try to have a prime uh, number like uh, five or seven. And so there's seven ways to get healthy. Uh-huh. Right, so it goes back a long way. So the uh, different parts of the body regenerate at different times. The brain hardly ever. Uh, the gut and mouth every one and a half days. The skin every fourteen days. But the layers underneath do not. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, anyway, now I'm a doctor, am I? You are Dr. Linda. Okay. Dr. Well, Linda. And so we're ready to rock. We're ready uh, to rock. And you had a good holiday? Yeah, I did. I um, I was just telling you about how I broke my thumb in Norway, the place that you got married yes. many moons ago. But yeah, hung out there for Christmas. And did you have a nice break as well? I, I had such a good break, ignoring my email, that my blood pressure went down to 101 on 70 with a heart rate of 44. That's very low. Yeah, I was just basically almost comatose like a reptile in the sun. <laughs> and so what happened when you got back and you opened up a billion emails? I did what I normally do and I ignored them. I ignore emails. Last year, The year before last, I threw away 172,000 emails at the end of the year. This 2017, I was a bit better. I threw away only 16,000 unread emails. Do you know what I do, which is a great trick? Oh, I switched off my phone. I what do you reckon? switched off your phone. Dr. Carl. Oh, thank you. That's very kind of you. Call us, one three hundred O triple five three six. if yes. you've got science questions. Don't call Dr. Carl personally because no, um, I can't put you on air. All right, let's get into the first question, first shall we? Yes. The first science question of 2018. Lisa from Blacktown in New South Wales, what's your question? Hey, doctors. Dr. Lisa, welcome. Hi. Um, so my husband and I went to Movie World the other day. Um, and we went on a whole bunch of roller coasters. And then that night when we went to sleep, when we laid down, um, we had still had the sensation that we were on a roller coaster. And so we're just wondering what that is. Ah, the body is always trying to find uh, a comfortable set point. And so if your normal motion is rocketing around on a roller coaster all day, you then take that as normal. If you're going up escalators day after day, you take that as normal. Um, and then if suddenly you get onto an escalator and it's not moving, you think, oh, hang on, something's wrong. If you stop going on the um, roller coasters, your body thinks that that's not quite right. And a good example is if you're at sea for a long time and you get on land, you can feel that the land is rolling and you need to just set a new set point. This is the basis of the schoolyard game where kids will stand in a doorway and then with their hands, their palms facing outwards, they'll push hard against the door for maybe 30 seconds and then... They'll release their hands from the door, step forward, and by themselves, the deltoid muscles on each arm will lift the arms up because that's their natural set point. I've done that many times <laughs> in so, the bloody doorways. So, so you are perfectly normal. Oh, good. Excellent. <laughs> and from another question, 
Mornington. Mm. Matt, what's your question about flies? Good morning, doctors. Good morning, um, Dr. Yes. So, my question. the Mainly in the heat, uh, these bloody flies love to, mainly around my face, land on my bloody sweaty face. What is that? Okay, number one, on average, for each human on Earth, there are 17 million flies. <laughs> Not 17, 17 million per human. Yeah. Number two, if it wasn't for flies and people in the fly f- or insects in the fly family, you would have neither sewage pipes nor chocolate because oh, there's a little fly guy that has to do the pollination. This little fly uh, eats a lot of meat, but this fly is the only one that does a pollination of cacao, and without him we have no chocolate. Mm. And also they eat the insides of the sewer pipes or the sludge and they keep them clean for us. Oh, right? Oh, yeah. So you should love flies. Now, all they want out of you is your sweat. It's got some water in it, which is nice on a hot, dry day, and it's got some yep. minerals. Um, who are you to deprive them? <laughs> Give the, 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 Just without, let them eat your sweaty face, yeah, Matt. Yeah, it, it, let them eat your sweaty face. Remember, without plumbers, there are no, there's no civilization. Without tradies, there is no civilization, and flies are part of that. Yeah. <laughs> and so by letting the fly, okay, but the flies can carry germs, but not as many as they claim in the TV ads. They're basically yeah. okay. So, Matt, just love on those flies, okay? Yeah, will do. Thank you, doctors. Thank hey, you. while we're talking flies, we're going to jump to another realm, which is mozzies. Charlotte from Katangana. Uh, Did I say wow. that right? That's uh, Katanga. Katanga. Sorry, I was like uh, reading that real quick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Everyone stuffs it up. Um, so my question, my dad's having chemo at the moment and I wanted to know what happened to mozzies when they bite him. Um, it, it normally it would be a female mozzie. Uh, the expert on this is a person called Cameron Webb, C-A-M-E-R-O-N Webb. He's easy to follow. He's in Australia here. Um, uh, so when the mozzies, and I say it's only the female mozzies that bite you, they will then draw up the saliva and it will go into their gut and eventually um, stuff can come out again but there's like a three-day window. So it's not as though there are a dirty hypodermic needle that flies from the person with the chemo or in the old days they used to say with AIDS virus and then land on another person. There's a three-day turnaround during which time many of the chemicals get broken down in the gut of the mozzie. Yeah, okay. Does it do anything to them though? Like- oh, yeah. Uh, yes, no. Uh, oh. Don't know. Definitely don't know. Uh, on one hand, the chemicals are present in the bloodstream uh, at such high levels that they can, uh, on one hand, knock off uh, the rapidly dividing cells in the cancer. And they'll also knock off the rapidly dividing cells in the human's, in the human's gut. Slow dividing cells doesn't have much effect on. So if the mozzie has any rapidly dividing cells like in its gut, it'll probably affect it. Cameron Webb, where are you? At Cameron Webb, he's a guy. Uh, over there, we'll do a call out for an entomologist. And by the way, Dr. Linda, they're mm. few and far between. Oh, really? Yeah, they don't come to the microphone that quickly. What, here's another rumour I can throw at you. Yes. Uh, I get so many mozzie bites and people always say because I eat so much bananas. Uh, untrue. Um, Another lie. Yes. uh, They're out out of the thousands of species of mozzies, there is one that might have a propensity for blood group A, and that's kind of about it. They all go for carbon dioxide. The bigger the human, the more carbon dioxide, so they'll tend to go for males rather than females. But once they get close enough, they then search out for a whole bunch of other chemicals that they like, and we don't understand what they are and why they do it, but they do. And if you're the mozzie magnet, I'm sorry, and I apologise. It sucks. (laughs) I believe you.
Anyway, you are listening to the Science Hour with Dr. Carl. If you've got a question, one three hundred O triple five three six. Mitch from Bluehaven in New South Wales. What's your question? Hi, uh, Dr. Linda and Dr. Carl. Welcome back. Oh. <laughs> I I would like to know by which mechanism does a bullet kill a person? And specifically, is it the sheer force of the bullet uh, does that shock the system so much that the brain shuts down? Um, or is it because we need every part of our organs? Um, and if so, why is that? It depends. Where, where, where do you want this uh, mythical bullet to land or impact the body? <laughs> well, okay, if I could ask two spots, so maybe like one in the uh, in the brain uh, specifically and then the other maybe in the arm or... Okay, let's go uh, for the brain. Though. Okay, so firstly with the brain, uh, it's going to push its way into through the bone with no trouble at all and then it will have this soft squishy mass about 1.5 kilograms 1.2 kilograms in mass it, a shock wave will then go through and the shock wave will mush up the brain the brain is really soft and squishy and it will start to cause da- it will cause damage ahead of it as it goes through there's a thing called contra coup c o n t r a contra C-O-U-P. It's got a P on the end of it. Look it up on Wikipedia. And so you have the shock wave going to the back of the brain or back of the skull, which is curved, and it gets focused and comes forward. And a lot of that energy can cause instant damage where the focus point is, as well as the general shock wave on the way through. But overwhelmingly, it's the sheer mass of material that has been damaged on the way through. Now, you might have heard the false uh, rumour that you need only 10% of your brain. Um, there's various reasons for that, that came into existence, but we won't go into that now. It's totally <laughs> wrong. At no stage does the doctor come out to the grieving family and say, look, the bad news is that um, your grandfather had a stroke in the brain. The good news is that it happened in the 90% of the brain that we don't need that God put in there because, or the universe put in there for no good reason because it didn't know what it was doing. You need every bit of your brain. So that can also cause damage if it hits low enough, say on the um, uh, spinal, the the, the lower centres, the brainstem, to the breathing centres. But straight away, you're losing function. Um, If it hits on the heart, it can tear off the aorta and suddenly you don't have blood supply to your brain. In the arm, it won't necessarily kill you. It'll just cause a local injury. Ah, okay, yes, right. Yeah, because not all bullet wounds are fatal. No, and okay. a friend of mine has just come back from America and she told me that it was amazing the number of times she heard on the news how a kid picked up the parent's gun and then shot somebody with it by accident and it doesn't yes, even okay. create an upset. It's a different culture. This is too dark. Let's, let's move let's, on. Yeah, let's get lighter. Let's get lighter. Megan from Penrith in New South Wales, what's your science question? Uh, morning, doctors. I don't think we're about to get any lighter, though. Okay, Dr. Megan, we'll lay it on us. Uh, quick quick question is, um, if if you were to donate your hair, like if you were to grow it and donate it, and somebody was to commit a murder, would your hair oh my then God. be at the... This is goth hour. In the, ...in the hair at the, the scene? Um, there would be... the only piece. How would you prove you weren't there? Right. There was a case of a black man, Afro-American in America, who got into a bar fight. Somebody attacked him and he ended up getting attended to by the Ambos in America and then ended up going into jail. The Ambos then went to another scene, another crime scene where somebody had been murdered. And they transferred his DNA to that site and then he was accused and convicted of murder, even though he was quite clearly in jail at the time of the murder. So if you 
trust too much on the forensic evidence, you can ignore the real stuff in front of you. Hair basically has little or no DNA except down at the very bottom when you pluck it out. So you get a hair shaft and you pull it out and this little bulby thing, that's where some DNA is. But the stuff that you cut, I'm pretty sure it's got hardly any DNA. It might have a microscopic amount, but really it's just got no DNA, so it'd be totally uh, free of DNA, I think. So you should be pretty safe, Megan. Okay. If, 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 now, uh, hair belongs to the dermatologists. So if a dermatologist could ring in and uh, tell us if I'm right about the lack of DNA in the hair shaft, which is basically just keratin. Chris from South Morang in Victoria. Hello. What's your question about the universe? Jen Dobre, Dr. Carl. Jen Dobre, Dr. Linda. Jen Dobre. Happy New Year and welcome back. Thank you. Yes, um, I've got a bit of a conundrum. Um, as, every, as all astrophysicists seem to uh, say that the universe is uh, constantly expanding, my question is where does it find the room to expand into? Very good question. I ran a version of this past um, every astrophysicist I can find, including the Nobel Prize winner, Dr. Brian Schmidt, and he gave probably the best answer. It's expanding into the future. It's carrying space with it as it expands. What is this space? It's the fabric of space-time, which is your normal four dimensions, left, right, backwards, forwards, up, down, and time. And maybe it's carrying the other eight dimensions that were formed at the beginning of the universe and then rolled away. We, d- we don't know. That, that is a deep question and nobody has an answer to it. We've got half the answer. We know it's expanding. We haven't got the other answer. That sounds like proper magic. It is magic now, but any technology, if sufficiently advanced, looks like magic to those who do not understand it. Well, I don't understand. Thanks, Chris. You're most welcome. Thank you, Dr. Chris. Hey, Shari from Launceston in Tassie. What's your question? Hey, guys. I was just wondering, um, me and my partner went camping just recently and we were sitting at the beach and we're just wondering why when you look out to the horizon that the ocean looks like it gets higher and it's higher than um, eye level? That's right. Well, it's uh, one of those visual illusions where in the sky, in general, there's nothing interesting. There's a bit of blue, a bit of blue, and you keep on going and from the horizon all the way till you get to the top of the sky. You might have a cloud thrown in or not, but in the ocean, you've got the horizon, and then coming down from that, you've got this blueness, which may or may not have waves of different colour, and then you follow that down, and there's different sorts of water, and then you follow that down, and you end up on the yellow sand, and then finally your feet. And so you sort of shift your perspective... So the stuff with information in it, your feet, the beach, the ocean, is most of your attention. And the bit above it, which is just blue, 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 you don't care about. This might be related to why in our retina we have several millions of cells to pick up red light and pick up uh, green light, but only 10,000 to pick up blue. Millions for red and green, 10,000 for blue. That's another mystery we don't fully understand either, why there's so few of them. Do we know why we love red? No, there's all sorts of theories. Um, it could, uh, there's Linda Bartoshuk from the Manel Institute in Philadelphia and they look at various sensors, uh, including smell and sight, and they would have a better answer. I haven't read anything from them on this recently, though. Oh, Sorry. well, thanks for your question, Shari. Thank, Thank you, you so Shari. much, guys. Have a good day. We're going to jump to Port Melbourne. A boy that's on holiday is an eight-year-old, Oscar. Hello. What is your science question? I understand the first three states of matter, but I don't really understand plasma. Can you tell me what exactly it is? Okay, so... So what is plasma? What is plasma? So this is, uh, unfortunately, in the English language, the word plasma 
is used for the fourth state of matter and also uh, the liquid in blood. Forget that one. Let's just go for the fourth state of matter. Um, Everything is made of atoms. Everything that we can measure, that is. Well, I'll take that back. Everything is made of atoms, according to Richard Feynman. The atom has a central core and electrons around it. In a plasma, the temperature is so high that the electrons have been ripped off. So instead of having a central core, a nucleus, with its several shells of electrons that belong to it, you've just got this state of matter where you've got a whole sea, an ocean of these nuclei, the cores of atoms, and this wandering ocean of electrons just wandering around. It's more complicated than that, but a plasma is where the electrons no longer belong to an individual atom but wander freely. Okay. Yeah. Does that make sense to you, Oscar? Yeah. And it's the most common state of matter in the universe because stars make up most of the mass of the universe as we know it. We'll ignore the dark matter and the dark energy. And so most of the universe is plasma as, as we know it. Thank you, Dr. Oscar. Thanks. Bye. Oh, bye, Dr. Bye. Oscar. I just want to hang out with Dr. Oscar. All right, Dr. Roger in Upper West Gippsland in Victoria. You've got a science question this morning. What is it? Good morning, doctors. How are you? Very peachy keen. Thank you. That's good. Fans since curiosity does, Dr. Carl. Good job. Um, <laughs> what, my, did my, what, what did you say? I, I said I'm a fan since the curiosity day. Ah, I thought ah. he said fancy curiosity, doll. A fan, Whoa. yeah. There you go. Um, my question is, does the Earth admit any kind of electromagnetic noise that can be picked up by humans? Yes, um, there is the Schumann resonance, um, which uh, is very low in energy, probably a couple of hundred watts, and people claim wrongly that this is related to our brains. But yes, the brain also, the, the, the Earth also has a magnetic field uh, coming from the core. We're not fully sure of the mechanism by which the magnetic field is created, but we know there is a magnetic field. So you've got that and the Schumann resonance at least. Oh, heat. The Earth emits heat. So down oh. in the core of the Earth, in the central blob of solid iron, you've yep. got radioactive uranium, potassium and thorium and they decay and they give off heat. So we've right. got heat and the Schumann resonance and the magnetic fields. Um, I'm pretty sure... Oh, and, and when lightning happens, we've discovered that in addition to the light, that in some cases nuclear reactions happen in the lightning and, and a gamma rays are emitted. But that's right, not okay. probably what you're asking. Is that what you're sort of heading for? Or? Well, well, it is. The, um, I, I reckon, like, first thing in the morning when it's very quiet or very late at night when it's very quiet, um, I reckon I can hear a hum. Um, my wife can't hear it. Um, I thought it might have been something electrical in the house. We've just been camping um, way out in the middle of nowhere, and first thing in the morning, you know, when everything's quiet, I could actually hear or maybe even feel this, this hum, and it's, it's like walking past a transformer. Um, you know, I can actually hear. So ah. I just don't know what it is. <laughs> okay, um, that's very interesting. If you go to the newsstand and buy the latest issue of Cosmos, right. there's an article in there about five sounds that happen in nature that we do not know the cause of. Oh, great. And one of them is the hum. And a very small number of people, and you might be the one, can pick it up. Now, the second thing I should bring into it is that in the cities, we're living in constant background noise. So if you put on a set of noise reduction headphones 
and then turn them on and then you'll hear all the background noise go away and then when you take the headphones off for about a minute or so, you can hear this really loud noise, which is the background noise that exists with every, within every city and maybe for about 20 kilometres around it. Um, we spent several decades travelling through the Australian outback and coming into each major city, we could pick it up maybe 150, 50 kilometres out. And I remember oh, on one yeah. occasion, we'd camped out, we hadn't seen another human for about a week. We were camped near a billabong and we, at sunset... We were about half a kilometre from the billabong because we didn't want to scare the animals. We heard this weird whistling noise. And so we walked over to the billabong and what we were hearing was the wind whistling through the feathers of ducks as they were landing in the water from a distance of half a kilometre because it was so quiet. So this hum noise, go onto the Cosmos, it's an Australian magazine website, and you might be able to get the article for free as well. Okay, I'll do that. Thank but you. But it is, some people hear it and it is a mystery. I do hear a hum, but I think that's just because my hearing is a little bit after years of DJing. 13-year-old Rowan hanging out in Sydney on holidays. What's your science question? Um, my science question is um, when you leave your thongs in the sun, why do they bend upwards? They sort of curl upwards, you're saying, at the heel and the toe? Yeah. Um, they, thongs are made of different materials in different layers. And I'm guessing that you leave them in the sun, the heat soaks through them, and the layer at the bottom would expand the most. So you want a layer which is really both grippy but also resistant to wear at the very bottom where it touches the road. But on your feet, the upper side, you want a layer that is not irritating to your skin, and in between you want a bit of a cushiony layer. And I'm guessing, and I don't know why, this is a bit I don't understand, that the expansion is greatest for the bottom layer. So the bottom layer expands the most and it pushes up at the heel and the toe. But why the bottom layer is the most, has the most expansion, that I don't know. Have you tried putting them in the sun upside down? No, I haven't. Can you try that and ring us back next week? All right. Thank you. And I also wonder, like, what happens then after you take them out of the heat? Like, do they go back to the normal? They should. Size? It should be. It should be reversible. Many reactions are reversible. Not all. Oh. Yeah. Okay. We'll we'll hear back from Rowan next week. Zoe from Newcastle. What's your science question? Good morning, doctors. Doctor Zoe, welcome. Um, I was just wondering why bugs are attracted to light. Which insects? You mean all of them? Uh, Give me an example. Or like mosquitoes, just, I don't know, little insects. Like uh, when you have like a torch on, when you're, you know, camping. And okay, the best explanation I've heard relates to their navigating. So imagine that you're out on a countryside where there's no trees, it's all nice and flat, and over on the right-hand side as you're walking is the moon. Mm-hmm. Okay, just start walking. So long as you keep the moon on your right-hand side, you'll go in a straight line. But Mm -hmm. suppose instead of the moon, there's a light post, and that's the only light in the entire countryside. If you keep that on your right-hand side, you'll end up doing a circle around it. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's what's happening with the insects that fly around at night. They've evolved for having a single light in the sky, um, the moon, but all these close lights make them end up going in circles. And so they end up having tighter and tighter circles. 
Okay, interesting. Maybe, maybe. Also, it could be that they're after your carbon dioxide and they just want to eat you or um, drink your sweat <laughs> off your sweaty face or inject your, you know, get some of your proteinaceous blood for their babies. Okay. But, and, and they've managed to associate that. I don't, I, I don't have a good answer. Second call out from an entomologist. Okay, thank you very okay, much. Okay, all right. Thank you. Well, Dylan from Wollongong has got a question about wormholes. What's your question? Um, I was wondering... Um, can you travel through a wormhole and do you have to meet it with the same velocity or, you know, force to go travel straight through it? Um, we've never proved that wormholes exist. In 1935, Einstein and Rosen came out with a paper where they discussed what we would later call black holes and they said that there's these things that can be black holes, sure, and then they said... They're not singular. What that means is they don't exist by themselves. And we've never actually proved that second part. So uh, the, the, it implies that there's some sort of connection perhaps to another black hole. We have never proved that. We have proved with a very, very high degree of certainty that black holes exist. But do wormholes exist? No. However, we have not proved that. They might, but we haven't proved it. Uh, the, Can you explain what a wormhole is A wormhole. Is meant to be? Uh, with our current understanding, if you want to go from one black hole to another through a wormhole, you have to go down several billions of times smaller than an atom because they're very skinny. And if you can do that and survive that transition, you can travel from one place to another in zero time. So if you've got two black holes, a kilometre, you say, you know, a, a billion light years apart, joined by a wormhole, theoretically you could travel from one to the other in zero time. Not, not a very short time, but zero time. Um, but we've never actually proven it. That's what the theory suggests. Okay. But, so we, we're not quite there yet. There'll be something 10, 20 years from now or our children will work that one out for us. Just wait around for it, Dylan. Now, Simon from Frankston in Victoria, you've got a question for Dr. Carl for Science Hour. What is it? G'day, doctors. Doctor. Yeah, I've got a scenario for you. Mm -hmm. You go to a restaurant or a bar and you go to the toilet. Uh, in the toilet, you're presented with three options. You have the option of using a electric hand dryer. Mm -hmm. You have the option of using a disposable hand towel. And you have the option of using a washable hand towel. What of those three options is the most environmentally friendly? Um, it's tricky because it all depends on where the energy needed to power the moving electrical devices or to manufacture the disposable devices came from. So where did the energy come from to make the disposable paper or the disposable hand towel. Where did the energy come from to power the hair dryer, the hand dryer? In the old dryer days, the uh, hand dryers were just ways of shifting germs around the bathroom. Now there are hand dryers. Those blade that, ones. Yeah, the blade ones that they have got. Uh, they claim to have filters that will stop viruses and certainly bacteria from going through them. If that is the case, then you've got to include human health. Human health is part of the equation. So consider a baby that's born and then think about the baby one year later. That baby looks gorgeous at the age of one year and there's probably several cubic metres of dirty nappies and vomit strewn behind it and all that disorder has created one beautiful little creature. And so you've got to affect the human health. 
So um, I've been advised by the uh, infectious diseases people, um, if there's no – try to go for paper if you can because they're putting that as their main priority. Go for the paper first. Uh, the towel is, is just about the same as well but it takes more energy to make it. But um, And then – if you don't have either paper or uh, air blast thing to dry your hands, just wipe your hand, wash your hands. Whatever you do, wash your hands and use soap. And it takes about a minute to wash your hands properly. And then wipe your hands on your trousers or something. But I was going to say, just wipe them on your trousers. Just wipe them on your trousers. <laughs> so, you, but the other side, Choice Magazine does various appraisals of the environmental damage of paper towel, cloth towel and electric hand dryer and it changes from year to year but of course where do you get your energy from? So South Australia for example has just announced that because of the great success they had with electric batteries they're now going to build a really big solar thermal generator. How big? The biggest in the known universe. Wow, go South Australia. Yeah, good on them. right. Hey, thanks for your call Simon. No problem. Loved a little multiple uh, choice as well. Fully thought out the dramatisation of that question. And now to something from Launceston. Ebony, what's your science question? I was just wondering why when I'm tired, my eyes twitch. The eyelids or the actual eyeball globe? The eyelids. The eyelids. Um, you spend a lot of time blinking. Your eyelids go up and down all the time. You don't even notice it. Um, and it's all really carefully synchronised. So if you flash your vision from directly in front of you off to the side, you don't see the stuff in between. And this is synchronised in, in many cases with the eyelids Blinking, you spend a lot of time blinking. Maybe I think one tenth of your whole life is spent with your eyelids shut, something like that. I forget the exact number. And so, this requires very fine muscle control. They work really quickly up and down. And when you're tired, I know this is a really dumb explanation, but basically, you're not running at full efficiency. You stumble on your words, you drop things, and in in the same way, your muscle control of your eyelids is not so uh, fine. I don't know why you lose the muscle control of your eyelids, but in general, that's what happens to you when you're tired. You just stumble around and slur your words a bit. No worries. Thank you. Thank you. Kevin from Castle Hill. Shoot. Hey, how's it going? Um, How's it going, doctors? Very well, thank you, Dr. Kevin. Um, Welcome. I was recently at a festival where we were camping right by a river. And every time we'd go into the river or under, like, the trees near the river, we'd get this water. It felt like a sprinkling. And then going around the campsite, there was a rumour that it was the cicada bee because there were a lot of cicadas around. Do you reckon that's true or false? Where was this happening? How did you feel it on your body as you were walking around or in the river? Uh, like, so whenever we went under the, near the river or in the river. So literally whenever we got under tree cover. Ah, in a decent plague and I don't think this was one, you can have 10 trillion cicadas suddenly appear from underground. Were you having lots of cicadas all over the place? Oh, heaps. Okay. Maybe you were in a little mini one. In a good one, you get um, 10 trillion cicadas, which is 1,400 cicadas for each human on planet. For a few weeks, you can have up to 300 cicadas. This is, a, this is your full-on plague. 300 cicadas per square metre with a total temporary um, mass of 20 million tonnes of insect life. That's on a par with the weight of all the people in the USA. The cicada liquid excrement, so it's not really wee or poo, but a mixture of it, will fill 300 Olympic swimming pools per day. 
Right. And after be, they die, they leave behind some 500 trillion eggs, which is about a thousand times more than there are stars in the Milky Way. So it is possible. So uh, once you got past the yuck factor, the thing to do is to spread out a sheet of clean paper and try and catch it and then look at it with your portable microscope. Your port- have you got a portable microscope, Kevin? No, I forgot to pack it. That's yeah, I don't have one either. You've got to get it. But at least you could try catching it with a sheet of clean paper and then look at it just with your eye with a little, maybe a hand lens or something. All right, that's an excellent. Maybe. That's a little project for you, Kevin. Next well, time. look from animal pee to animal poo. <laughs> Bella in the Central Coast, what's your science question this morning? Good morning. Dr. Bella, welcome. Thank you. We were wondering... Why dog poop turns white when it's outside and also you don't really see it all that often anymore. Like when you were a kid, it was everywhere. And now when you see poop, like dog poop in the streets or whatever, it's kind of brown and like dried but not white. I have been following this on my Twitter feed, Dr. Carlevin, D-O-C-T-O-R-K-R-L, and I haven't been able to come up with a good answer because I've been too lazy. People have <laughs> suggested, and I don't know if this is true, that in the old days the dogs would eat food that the people provide for them at home, like dog bones, you know, bones for the dog, or get bones from the chemist, from the, chemist, from the uh, butcher, or that the dog food itself would have more bones in it. So p- there, there have been claims, and I don't know if these are true, that the whiteness is due to the higher calcium in the diet due to the dog chewing on bones. I don't know if this is true. I do not have an answer to that one. I should I have had an answer. I a theory. Yeah, lay it on me. It's something to do with like environmental factors. Like, say the Earth's atmosphere is more something than it was like 10 years ago, and that's why it turns white. It could have something to do with the environment or like the soil that, you know, if we're like screwing up stuff in the environment, would that be why? There's not much of a change over the last 30 years, apart from the carbon dioxide level going up from very small to a bit bigger than very small, which on one hand is enough because it's world scale to trap the heat of 400,000 atom bombs per day. That's how much heat the carbon dioxide is trapping. But you'd think, well, if we can trap atom bombs, surely you can uh, poop poop white. Maybe turning poop white is harder. I don't know. We need a vet to give us an answer. If somebody can give us a vet uh, an answer or give the answer, uh, is there a text number they can ring There is. And the text number is? Yes, 0439 757 Wow. Thanks for your call, Bella. Thank you. Thank you. Now let's jump to Milan in Outback New South Wales. Jaden, what's your question? Um, how are you going? Very well, thank you, Dr. All right, that's the question. See ya. Um, no, go on. <laughs> I, I was just wondering, is secondhand smoke, like, you know, say you go to a smoker's area and, like, you stand there having a cigarette and there's obviously smokers around you, um, like, how, how's secondhand smoking worse for you than, um, like, smoking a cigarette yourself? And if you are around smokers, like, could you, know, light up the smoke or... Um, secondhand smoke is not as bad for you as the concentrated stuff that you drag into your lungs. However, you go into Chinese airports, you will see smokers' rooms, and I've gone into one of those just for the fun of it, just to see what it was like. Literally, seeing across the room, uh, only three metres, the vision was significantly cut. 
the smoke was that thick. And I had a bit of difficulty in breathing. I got myself the heck out of there. It's got very powerful air conditioning. But even so, the smoking level is high. So secondhand smoke is dangerous um, in high concentrations. And even if you're at home and you smoke a cigarette just in the corner of the room while your baby's in the other corner, we can measure the health effect on the baby further down the line with large samples of babies living with people who smoke cigarettes. So secondhand smoke is definitely bad for you, but not as bad as the first-hand smoke. Ah, righty So people's arguments aren't right when they say that secondhand smoking is worse than uh, smoking a cigarette themselves. Um, it all depends on how much there is. If it's really, really concentrated, it can be worse. I think that in the rooms I went into in the Chinese airport, it was probably worse. Yeah. Did you go into those little smoking rooms? Yeah. Have you, have you seen them? I've seen them. They're then, those like little cubes that are like little glass cubes where people go in to have a smoke break. And you can't, and it's sort of cloudy. Oh, it's, it looks like fog in there. Yeah, that's right. I went in one just for, I think you call it fun, and I got out pretty quickly. How long did you last in there? Oh, about a minute. I, I reckon it would be just as bad as smoking cigarettes. Yeah. That, that one, even with the powerful aircon. Haven't got the exact figures, sorry. He was in absolute smoke city. Uh, Emily from Wonga Park in Victoria. What's your science question for Dr. Carl? Uh, hi. Um, I was just wondering, when I wake up in the morning and get into my car, like I have to turn down the radio. So I was just wondering why things seem louder when you first wake up. Ah, maybe it's that you've been used to them being louder during the day. And so... Um, I, I have seen cases of where somebody's having a conversation on the phone in a car and the mm-hmm. windows are up and I'm 50 metres away and I can hear them shouting into the phone and they've got the volume so loud I can hear it 50 metres away with the windows up. So maybe it's just during the day you're just exposing yourself to continuously high level of sounds and then over the night your ears get to readjust back to nice natural quiet. The total range of hearing runs from naught, which is ODB, which you're never going to hear except in an acoustic room. 30 dB is your sort of natural background level in the city and about 120 dB is pain. 90 dB is Sorry, sort of what was pain? 120 dB. Uh-huh. So that's like standing next to a big jet taking off. Okay? Okay. So um, your ears actually readjust down from you, you most of the day you're around people you're getting 70 or 80 db and you adjust down to maybe you're back around 30 db when you're sleeping and so your ears are at a higher level of sensitivity i do not know if this is correct an audiologist would be able to tell me if your ears sensitivity do do adjust themselves during the day okay cool do your ears bleed when you hear really loud Stuff, you know, like, look, the in amount the of movies, text I get. In the movies? Like, yeah, in the movies or like on the text line when they say, Linda, this song sucks, it's making my ears bleed. Um, no, the, what happens is that the pressure wave comes down through the ear canal, which is tapered in a way so that you get maximum transfer of energy from the air to the eardrum. The eardrum moves backwards and forwards. It doesn't have a very good blood supply. Um, when it's moving, when you're listening to the quietest noise you can listen to, it's moving about the diameter of a hydrogen atom back and forth. There's no blood coming from that. Then that moves a bunch of bones. I don't see any blood there. And then that then pushes on a membrane, which leads to the cochlea and I don't, from my mind's eye and the anatomy of it, I don't see any blood there either. I can't see where the blood would come from except maybe an over-enthusiastic Hollywood stunty. It's definitely a Hollywood myth.
It's the Science Hour with Dr. Carl this morning. Uh, should we try and fit in like one last question for 30 seconds? Here we go. All right, let's do it. Aiden from Rosebud in Victoria, what is your question this morning, Aiden? Uh, my question was how much force would be required to break the Earth's atmosphere? What do you mean break it? Like I can imagine I've got a, a wooden stick and I can put it over my knee and <laughs> bend it and it will break. What, um, do you, what do you mean by break the atmosphere? Like you like penetrate and get through it. Well, you do that every time you go for a walk. You push through the air. Just go on, keep going. Um, so like if there was, a, say, a meteorite coming from space and it's like I've seen things where it like breaks up into smaller pieces. Oh, okay. Um, you get the resistance of the wind pushing against it. So um, now I'm beginning to understand it. Uh, so firstly, the sound barrier. So the there are molecules in the air, and when you move quickly through the air, those molecules get out of the, your way. When you're travelling at the speed of sound, which is around 600, 700 kilometres per hour, they can't get out of the way fast enough, and you get what's called a shock wave. And this shock wave can then break glass. That's perfect. And that brings us to the end of the first Science Hour. The return of Dr. Carl. The podcast is going to be up online just after the show. All the answers will be there for you. I'll catch you next week, Dr. Carl. Thank you for coming in. Thank you for bringing me into the world of science here on Triple J. It'll be a lovely journey for both of us. 